uh, this morning, whatever day it is. <laughs> Been one of those, huh? We're going to finish up chapter 20 of our Believe book today, and then we're going to take a, a little break, and we're going to uh, study Daniel chapter 6 for several weeks, just one chapter. And so I want to invite you to come back. We're, the, the title of that sermon series is called Fresh Start. And so if you need a fresh start or have ever wondered about a fresh start or you know somebody who needs a fresh start, I'm going to encourage you to invite them to come back starting next week and join us for uh, five weeks as we walk through Daniel chapter 6 and just talk about a fresh start. I think we all kind of need one uh, from time to time. And I think God provides opportunities for fresh starts, on-ramps and off-ramps. And so before we get there, though, I do want to finish up uh, chapter 20 of our Believe book today. I like to fish. I don't know how many of you know that. I'm not a very good fisherman. I don't uh, like salt water and being way out in the ocean. That's not a big fan of mine, but I love to be in my kayak and go down a river or on a lake and uh, just uh, try to fish a little bit, just to enjoy all of God's creation. Columbus is one of my favorite places. There's an oxbow around Columbus. I don't know if you know this or not, but the Colorado River runs around Columbus for six miles from Business 71 to I-10, and it's one mile across land, and it's a six-mile Oxbow, and I used to have a friend who ran a, a place there called Howl Canoe and Livery, and, and he would drop me off and uh, park my truck, take me back, put me in the river. I'd float downstream, get in my truck for $10, you know, he'd, he'd do all that for me, and I'd just fish all day, and uh, I wouldn't always catch things. Sometimes I would, other times I'd catch a sunburn. I was almost guaranteed to do that, but I just enjoyed that time on the water and being out there, and, and, and when I would go and see him, he had these pictures in his office of these giant alligator gar. Are you familiar with these fish? And some of them were three and 400 pounds that they used to pull out of the Colorado River. They're right there just north of Beeson Park there uh, where the railroad tracks go over. And I'm talking a three or 400 pound alligator gar is about six or seven foot long. I'm in a 12 foot kayak and there's these fish in this water. And when it's low, I'm just thinking there's something in there that could eat me. And so when something bumps my boat, I get just a little anxious. I get just a, a little excited about what could or could not be underneath there because um, I could walk on water. I believe that. <laughs> if nothing else, I'm going to give it a sure try, right? There's just something about water that, 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 that always mystifies us a little bit. Y'all heard of the Loch Ness Monster, right? Well, there was an old boy out fishing one day, and he was out there on the lake, and he's fishing away, and he happened to be an atheist, and so, of course, he's not praying for the fish to bite, at least not to God. He's just out there wetting his line. That's all he's doing, chunking and winding, chunking and winding, chunking and winding. About that time, something hits his boat. Well, he's not totally sure what it is, but what it does trigger in him is that there must be something in the water that I can catch. So he's just continuing on, chunking and winding, chunking and winding, right? About that time, the boat just flies straight up in the air about 50 feet. And as the man flies out of the boat, he looks down and he sees the Loch Ness Monster their mouth wide open, just waiting to catch him. And all of a sudden, he screams out, Oh, God, help me! Everything freezes. And there the atheist suspends in air, looking down at the Loch Ness Monster. And he hears the voice of God call out to him and says, Hey, a minute ago, you didn't even believe that I existed, and now here you are praying to me. And he goes, God, to be fair, a minute ago, I didn't think the Loch Ness Monster existed either. <laughs> Romans Chapter 10, verse 14 and 15 tells us probably the conclusion of that story. It says this, as Paul writes us, it's how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? 
as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry the good news. You know, I don't know how that atheist heard about God, but boy, when it came time for him to know him, he was sure glad somebody told him about him. Now, I believe God reveals himself through his creation and through his word and through his people. And I think that no matter what we do, if you've read the parable of the the seed and the sower, I think the most important thing we should remember is that it is our job to just chunk seed, just chunking seed, just throwing out there wherever we go. We are to be planters. We're to be obedient to to share the word of God. We're, We're to have beautiful feet that carry the good news of the gospel to wherever it needs to go. That, that is our role as Christ followers. It is part of the great commission that we're to go and teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded us and to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is, it is our calling once we accept the grace of Jesus Christ that we believe he is the Son of God who died and rose three days later to cover over our sins. It is our calling, it is our quest, it is our mission, it is our requirement, I will go so far as to say, that we go and tell people about this Jesus who has saved us so that whether they find themselves about to be eaten by the Loch Ness Monster or they find themselves not being able to pay their rent or find themselves with an incurable disease, how then will they know to call upon that one unless someone goes and tells them? And so my question to you this morning is this. Do you find it hard to share your faith? Is it difficult for you to tell people about this Jesus that you believe in who has radically transformed your life and your eternity? Do you find it difficult to share that with others? Do you find it challenging? Do you find it worthwhile to tell people about Jesus? We live in a day and age where we're supposed to start with why, where it's important to give people the the reasons why they should do things instead of the the way they should do that. And I just simply just want to call that to attention for a moment. Simon Sinek, who does this great TED Talk, it's a wonderful TED Talk that talks about that. And I think there's something there. But let me ask you something. If it, when it comes to sharing your life-transforming reality of eternity about the Jesus who has saved you, who has redeemed you from an eternity in a real place called hell, why is it important for you to share that with somebody else? Or is it? There's not a problem on this earth that can't be solved with Jesus. That doesn't mean he's going to take it away. That doesn't mean he's going to just snap his fingers and fix it. That just means he's bigger than it. And we need to know that and believe that and tell everybody else about it. This morning, I want to encourage you that our key ideal that we want to focus on is that I share my faith to fulfill God's purposes. I share my faith to fulfill God's purposes. We have a saying around here that says God has better things to say about you. You know why? Because the world has told you all kinds of lies. And me telling you about you is not the same as God telling you about you. And guess how he's going to do that? He's going to use me, and he's going to use his word. And when the two of us are in lockstep, when you find your Loch Ness monster, I hope you do cry out to the one who's bigger, the one who saves, the one who rescues the one who has ultimate authority over all. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. Paul, again, is is giving us some conversations that he's having with the church that is having some struggles about following him. 
Just last week we spoke about, boy, you're so eager, so capable, so wealthy, so available to, to share the gospel and to build up your brothers and sisters. And Paul continues with this conversation because I think what Paul saw in the Corinthian church was an opportunity for these people to shed a light into a culture that the Jews were not always welcome to and were not always available to, but that God was truly doing something amazing in. And Paul is trying to encourage them to, to stay the course, fight the good fight, stay in this battle, to know that all these things that God has given you, he has equipped you so that you can have a greater purpose. And your purpose is to continue to move the gospel throughout all the places that it hasn't gone yet. To take it a step further today than what it was yesterday, to share your faith of this Jesus who the Jews crucified, who the Corinthians crucified, who the Kadiites crucified to share their faith with them. And so we pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. We're going to walk through a couple of these, but I'm going to take it a couple of chunks at a time this morning so we can talk about Paul's letter. Verses 14 and 15, he says this. Paul says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Do you have difficulties sharing your faith do you have difficulties talking to people about who this Christ is and what he has done for you do you know the why behind sharing your faith to fulfill God's purposes has a lot to do with what he has done for you it is not that he is pushing you in such a way instead he is pulling you compelling you like a magnet does to metal compelling you to go and to share the good news of your salvation and so what Paul is ultimately telling us this is that sharing my faith is an obedient response for my own salvation. Telling others about this Christ who died for me, telling others about this Christ who set me free, telling others about this Christ who took away all the penalties of my sin is not just something that I am forced to do, that I'm coerced to do, that I'm recommended and nudge, nudge, wink, wink into telling people about Jesus, but instead because of this life-altering, eternity-changing reality that I have experienced with him, I am compelled to go forward and to respond to my own salvation by telling others the good news of Jesus. Jesus Christ because if he could do this for me then he could definitely do it for you Paul of all people would say that he is the chief among sinners he knows exactly what he has been saved from and to and I think that's what we miss out sometimes we think that salvation is simply just God forgiving my sins and that I'm going to be in heaven and that all is forgiven. But he's not just saving us from the reality of hell. He is saving us to the glorious reality of his presence. And he wants others to be in his presence forever and ever. And he wants us to walk in his presence. And so when I share my faith, I fulfill God's purposes because I am responding to the salvation that he has provided for me through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. I am doing this not just because it sounds like a good idea, not just because someone's out there saying you ought to do it this way, not because I'm walking through the Roman road and I'm saying, well, we'll all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, but God forgave this and all this. No, I'm doing this because I used to be a sinner who had a guaranteed eternity in, in, in hell. And Jesus said, no, you're one of mine. I died for you and I accepted that free gift of salvation. And I responded to that gift of salvation. And I didn't respond to it reluctantly. I didn't respond to it out of fear. I didn't respond to it timidly. I responded to it with tears in my eyes and a heart full of joy saying, if he can do this for me, then he can do this for everyone. 
And if I'm really being honest, that he did do this for me. He did this for everyone. He died once and for all and for all. That's what Paul is saying. And the simplicity of the reality of our faith simply says this, Christ died for me, he set me free, and because I am free, I can move about and tell others about this freedom that only comes in Christ. And I will respond according to the salvation that I have. And friends, I'm just going to be honest with you. I think sometimes the great challenge that we have in responding to our salvation is that we don't fully understand our salvation. We, we've got our get-out-of-hell-free cards checked. We've, we've clicked that box. I understand why so many people have left the church after they've gotten into adulthood because they were forced, they were coerced, they were, they were mandated to go to church because mom and daddy drugged me here and I did all these things, I did all this stuff, and then I went out to college and I saw this world was amazing and it was full of all this wonderful stuff and there was this thing called beer that changed everything. I found more fellowship amongst the heathens, more acceptance amongst those that allowed me to live my life that way. But I was empty inside. I was missing something. There just wasn't quite enough of the party or the praise or the foolishness. And at some point, it was time for everybody to go home, go to work, get a job, be responsible. And life closed in and all those buddies were gone. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those buddies. I think we all need friendships. I think we all need good relationships. But when it got time for things to start hitting the road again, you know what I decided to do? I decided to get married and have some kids. And boy, as soon as that happened, I thought, you know what would be really good for my wife and my kids? I should force them to go to church too. What I should have done was responded to the salvation that was given to me and demonstrated that to my kids, demonstrated that to my friends, to my co-workers, to my family members. I'm not coerced into being a part of God's body. I'm compelled. I am pulled in by the magnetic love that he has for me that stretched him out on a cross and put three nails in his body. When I share my faith with others, I am responding to the salvation that I have. That's what Paul is saying, that we're compelled to do so because sin no longer controls me. Christ controls me because I submit to him, because I want to be like him. I want him to do more in my life than I could ever possibly imagine doing on my own. That's what compels me. Because no matter how much fun that other stuff was, it never satisfied. And if Jesus is not enough for you, then I would ask you just simply to search your heart and answer this question. Is he not enough for me, or have I truly not received his forgiveness? Have I truly not put him on the throne of my heart? Have I truly not looked at him and said, Lord, my salvation belongs to you because the blood you spilled for me? I get it. I understand that. But it is challenging, folks, when we are called and commanded to go and to share our faith with others, and we don't let the love of God compel us to do so. We do it because we've been taught a certain way or because the pastor said, hey, it's high attendance Sunday. Everybody invite your friends to church. Salvation is not an event, and it's high time we stop treating it that way. 
there was but one event that led to salvation, and that was the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the story we need to be telling. Let's see what Paul says in verse 16 and 17. He says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation is come, the old is gone, and the new is here. My Bible has an exclamation point at the end of that. The old is gone, and the new is here. Woo. Remember your first job? Some of you may still be in that job, not likely. Remember your first job, your first paycheck, your first serious paycheck? You know what came after that, don't you? Your first set of bills. <laughs> Some of you remember that, don't you? The old is gone, the new has come. I'm no longer under that yoke of oppression. I'm no longer under that expectation that I have to live within these boundaries. When I share my faith, it reveals my love for others because if in my freedom I can show others that I am so free to or not to live a certain way, not because the world says this is the standards, you've got to have this job, you've got to work this way, you've got to buy these things, you've got to live in this house, you have to live in this community, you have to do all this stuff. I'm no longer bound by all the things that the world says I have to do because I am free in Christ. And because I'm free in Christ, sharing of my faith reveals to others how much I truly care about them because I hold the secret literally to eternity. I hold the secret to eternity. And I am not allowed to hoard that up for myself because the old me would only keep the good things for myself and only give the scraps to everyone else. But the new me says that I am not worthy of anything that this world has to give out because I am called to a higher thing. I am a royal priesthood. God has elevated me. And because he has elevated me in status, he has also elevated me in responsibility. And God wants to reward me. I know that sounds crazy because I talked so bad about the prosperity gospel last week. I'm not ashamed of that. God wants to reward me, but he wants to reward my obedience, not my results. He wants to reward my, 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 my submission to him by saying, I love all of your creation. And I love them the way you love them because you live in me and have changed me. And I'm no longer this selfish, self-serving, it's all about me kind of person. I have died to self and taken up my cross daily so that I might follow you and demonstrate your love for others. The Corinthians, as well as many others, once looked at Jesus as he was just another prophet, another man, a person who did good things and talked a whole lot. They regarded him in the flesh just as we regard everyone else, that he had a, a finite timeline by which he was going to live on this earth. And the more he ran his mouth and upset the Romans, the sooner that timeline was going to come to an end. And boy, was it a shocker three days later when the tomb was empty. Because they no longer regarded him in the flesh. They regarded him in the spirit and eternity. And no one escapes eternity. No one. Let that sink in for a second. No one escapes eternity. They either spend eternally with their creator, a God who loves them and formed him in, in his image, who knows the plans he has for them, declares the Lord who has good works already set aside for them. Or 
They will be cast down into the lake of fire where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth where they will be with their father, the devil, the father of lies. The ideal of a heaven and a hell is so foreign to so many people. And we we do a lot to kind of scare people into or out of one or the other. But when was the last time we just stopped and thought for a moment? I know what God did for me in my life. And I know your life because I've walked that mile. I have the scars to tell the same stories. The difference is is that my scars tell the stories, but my heart tells the truth. And the truth is, is that I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And that I am not that same person I used to be. Even with the memories and even the shame of some of the things, sometimes I'll tell my kids stories and I I catch myself. I'll say this. Hey, you know, I probably shouldn't be telling you this story, but when dad was in college and my kids, they look at me like, what? You did what? Come again? And then, of course, they say something really interesting. Does mom know that? Let me tell you something, friends. If you've got a past and you've got a history and you've got failures and you've got shame and you've got disappointments and you've got anger and you've got pride and you've got all the things that are just the reality of the human condition, don't hide those things. Just stop letting them define you and stop letting them send you to a godless eternity called hell. And stop letting your friends go there willingly because you're too ashamed to tell them your story. We don't glorify sin. We don't proclaim ourselves as these great big sinners. We're saints because we've been redeemed by Jesus. But we acknowledge that sin once had hold of our lives. But Christ was bigger and better and stronger than that. And he has called me to share my faith with others. Not just so they don't walk through the, 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 the 80 or so years that we live on this earth, but so that they might live and dwell with him in eternity and pull from the tree of life. No one escapes eternity. And if Christ is not of the flesh, then he is of the spirit. And if he's told us that we will one day worship him in spirit and truth, we must understand that once this body dies and decays, that there is something that remains. And a new body will be given to us. And I have confidence that I won't ache and hurt. You know one of the things I'm most excited about heaven? Not sweating. Can I just tell you that? I I don't even care if I have to work hard while I'm in heaven. I would gladly take a street sweeper job. I just really want God to not let me sweat so much. Is that okay? I just want to be with him. And I love my family so much, I want them to be with me and with him too. And they love people that they ought to be telling people about this Jesus who saves, about this salvation that comes for all people, that that this one who died for all. And when I share my faith with others, I reveal my true love for others. And I don't love them outside of the manifestation of Jesus in my life. I love them because he first loved me. And he set me free. He can do that for someone else. I share my faith to fulfill God's purposes. Let's look what verse 18 through 20 tells us. All this is from God, 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. First and foremost, before I go any further, before we even talk about what the ministry of reconciliation is, just know this. Paul says this in such eloquent ways as to say all believers have a ministry. Every last one of them. So this whole I don't have a ministry thing, you can lie to yourself all day long, but please don't bring that up in church. Because I don't want to hear it. It's not true. I'm not equipped for ministry. Also not true. Now, I'm not going to build doctrine on one verse, but I'm going to tell you something. The ministry of reconciliation to bring people back to right with God was given to all believers, each and every one of us. Stop hiring the mercenaries. Paying them to go out and do the job that God has already given you. Because no one can do your job of the ministry of reconciliation better than you can. That's your job. Do it. Let's continue here in verse 19. Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore... Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now there's an accounting term that's used here of reconciliation, and it basically says at some point that your, your, your debts, your payments cannot ex- exceed your income, right? And, and when they exceed your income, you get upside down, you get into debt, right? And so I pay out more than what I bring in. Now, here's the really interesting thing about this accounting term that's used here is because we will never be able to pay out more than what we bring in when it's Jesus. But we also will not be able to pay out anything to make up for that. It's only him who takes care of that. And so when he reconciled us, he put the books back right. He put them back even. And I'm not talking about the world standard of evenness or rightness. I'm talking about being made right with God so that I can therefore stand before him with boldness and great expectation because of what Christ has done for me. And so when I do stand before God on my day of judgment, and I will, as will all human beings, every, each and every one of us, he will look at the ledger and determine if we have been made right or not. And some of you are going to have a big old long list that need to be made right. And then there's those like me who only have a few things. It's not a contest, but I bet my list will probably be longer than yours. Because I know my own thoughts. And I certainly know my own actions. But none of those will be held against me because of what Christ did to reconcile me and bring me back to right place with God. And my response to that is to go and tell others how they too can be made right with God, can be reconciled because they have that opportunity to hear and God has given me that ministry of reconciliation. And the old me would not want to do that because it's all about what I can get and what I can do. But the old is gone and the new has come. And with the new comes this new ministry. And with this new ministry, I can tell people about this love that Jesus has for them and that sharing my faith is the mission that God has for my life. And that nothing else matters. I mean, let's be honest. You know those people who would just evangelize a rock? If you don't, go talk to Simon. Because he would. I've seen him do it. I mean it. 
I'm not just picking on him. I have seen him go and just talk to the strangest of people. And I admire that. And it creates anxiety in me. And then the me starts to take over a little bit going, why is Simon so good at that? Why is he better at that than I am? That's not the point. That's not the point. His tactics and evangelism techniques, it doesn't matter if they're better than yours. It's his obedience that speaks volumes. It's his willingness to go and talk to somebody about this Jesus who made him right and can make you right too. Unfortunately, we like to dabble in the gray and we have this misconception out there that that we can either be right with God, wrong with God, or, or I'm just in progress. No, you're either right with God or you're not. And for a generation that hates absolutes, A day of reckoning, reconciliation will come. And when a day of reckoning comes, it won't just be this wishy-washy whatever. It will be definitive. Depart from me, I did not know you. Christ paid for my sins. They're no longer counted against me. The scars and the stories and the shame and all that stuff, I may remember those things because there is penalty on earth for the sins that we create. We have to carry those things. We don't rank sin by first to worse. One sin is not any worse than the other, but it does carry different consequences amongst us, amongst the rest of the world. But all sin separates us from God. It stops us from being reconciled, made right with And only one had the power and the authority to finish that off, to clean it up, to put us back with him, and it was Jesus Christ. And so when I share my faith, I'm on mission with God because he is using me as his ambassador, as his flag bearer, as the one who says, if you are looking to see what God looks like, look what he's doing in his life and her life and his life. Because they are not perfect as God is, but they're being made that way. And the only way that could possible is that the old has to go away, the new has to come, and the new comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. And they're working it out with fear and trembling, as Paul says. And I want you to know that when Paul says that, that that ideal of working out our faith with fear and trembling is this picture of a a rag being wrung out. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever tried to wring a rag completely dry, it takes a lot of pressure, it takes a lot of tension, it takes a lot of twisting, it takes a lot of time. It'll never be completely dry. But as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we know that Christ is doing the ringing. He's getting out of us the best that could possibly be in there. It's not, by the way, hidden inside of us because we are not innately good. We're just not. What he's kind of doing is getting rid of some of the other stuff to make room for the good that only he can provide. And he works that out with us with fear and trembling. A ringing, if you will. If my sins are no longer counted against me and I believe myself to be of the greatest of sinners, then that must mean that other people's sins can also be forgiven and not counted against them. And how will they know that if I don't go and tell them? How will they know that if I don't fall on my face from time to time and swallow my pride and say, you know what, I messed up. I made a mistake. I was reading something by Dr. James Dobson a couple of weeks ago. He's talking about a, a battle that was going on inside of the home between teenagers and parents. I know that's foreign to some of you. 
Dob Dr. Dobson had, had given this really interesting account of, he goes, you know, you can be right and push so many people away. You can be true and push so many people away. You can be honest and push so many people away. You can be self-righteous and push so many people away. And, and in the process of that, I'm kind of reading this article a little bit, and, and, and he says something very interesting. He goes, but all those things come back to the right relationship that we have with God and the right relationship that we have with one another. And he tells a story of this dad who had really messed up really messed up and in the process of his reconciliation with his wife and with his children in the process of God working through him and fixing some of those things the one thing that he did that I thought was just beautiful is that he went to his daughter and he apologized for what he had done and he says I just want your heart and I'm going to have to earn that back I'm going to have to fight to earn your trust back, for you to have faith in me by my actions, by my deeds, by my attitude, by what I'm doing. But even at the very end, you're still going to have to choose whether you trust me or not. But I'm going to do whatever it takes to get your heart back. Oh, that was a great story. I think it's a beautiful story of what God does for us. The difference is, is he's never messed up. I'm the one doing the messing up. I'm the one not acting the way I should. I don't act like a changed person some days. But it's a good revelation for us to understand that in the process of reconciliation, we must look at all the relationships that we've damaged. And we've got to work on those relationships, not just from a godly point of view, but we've got to work on those in the everyday things. We've got to say, I'm sorry. We've got to say, I messed that one up we got to say, hey, listen, I'm not always perfect, but I'm being made perfect by. And we have to stop excusing our own sin as a higher standard. It's okay because God forgives me. It's not okay. And God's forgiveness is not contingent upon what is and isn't okay in your life. It's a gift paid for by the blood of Jesus. And if you really understood what that gift was, you would share that grace with everybody else out there. Not by sinning with license, but instead allowing your life to speak volumes to what God has done in your life. That's what God does when he changes a heart. That's what God does when he says, now I'm going to put in you a new story. When he talked to David, who was in his miry pit in Psalm 40, it says that he heard my cries, he inclined his ear to me and he pulled me up out of this mess of my own making and he put my feet on a new rock and he put a new song in my heart. I preached on this several months ago. Some of you need a new song because the old one you've been singing sounds too much like the world. Some of you need to get that song caught up in your heart where it's like an earwig, right? You just can't get rid of it. Friends, I'm not saying this so that you'll feel bad about anything. I'm trying to express to you that the, the truth of your story is so powerful, so amazing, so life-changing that you need to share it with somebody because they need what you have, and they need it desperately. And I'm not going to get to the places that you already go. And God is infinite 
and he can go wherever he wants to, but he has chosen us to be his ambassadors, making his appeal through us in Christ Jesus. So how can you share your faith with those who don't know God? I could give you a hundred different ways that you could do this. I could walk you through all these evangelistic this and that and all these other things, but the bottom line really comes down to just a couple of things. One, you have to appreciate your own salvation. You have to appreciate. You don't have to understand it in fullness. You don't have to have this deep theological degree. You just have to understand, man, I'm saved. I'm saved from an eternity in hell, and I'm saved to an eternity with Jesus. But I think we need to establish some common ground around here. That's one of the reasons our church is named the way that it is, because I like regular, common, everyday folk. I hope you're okay with that. Because I do believe that God has better things to say about everybody else out there than what the rest of the world, even the church sometimes, says about those unrighteous sinners that are too hungover to get to church on Sunday morning. How dare us? How dare us? Their behavior is their behavior, but their soul has opportunity for redemption. And we need to establish some common ground. That doesn't mean we lower our standards of godliness. That doesn't mean that, that, that we, we, we go and do things that we know would absolutely be sinful. That just means we look and we see our own faces in the face of those who have yet to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. I've been to Mother Teresa's house several times in Calcutta, India, and she has this great saying about how she does what she does. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. I have never experienced anything on a poverty level of, of a human just filth. I'm just going to be honest with you. In my entire life, and I, I, this little short Armenian woman, she had this great quote where she said, I would go around looking for the disguised Jesus in the face of every person I met. And she wasn't just going to look for poor people to feel better about herself. She was going to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. She was going to show them the value of their redemption that Jesus paid for all of us. She found common ground by dressing all of the nuns in the saris as the Indian women wear. She had to push against the Pope and the Vatican to get them to change the habit, as they call it. And she wore a a white, which was just so strange to me, in this filthy place, a white surrey with blue stripes on it. And she says, I want us to stand out, but I also want us to fit into the right places. I want to show them that we're not above them, we're with them and for them, just like God is. I have a lot of respect for that lady. She established common ground. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, the end of the passage we just read, says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me tell you about common ground, folks. We are all sinners in need of salvation. Every one of us. And so when I share my story, my faith story with others, when I tell them about this Jesus and what he's done for me, I can talk about my sin that no longer has binding control over my life. I can talk about a Jesus who freed me and compels me to tell the love that he has for them. I'm going to find common ground with them. Maybe it is where I work. Maybe it is where I live. Maybe it is where I go to school. Maybe it is my hobbies. Maybe it be these other things. But I'm going to tell you something. The greatest common ground I have is that at the foot of the cross that day, even the mother of Christ was in need of the salvation that her son presented. That was common ground, folks. We are all in need of that. 
I think we should also accept accountability for our mission. I think one of the best ways we can share our stories and share our faith with others is to, to accept the accountability of Ephesians chapter 6. Paul prayed this. He says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Do we talk with one another about sharing our faith? Do we practice in the safe environment of the body of Christ? Do we share with those that are on our hearts that we work with, play with, go to school with, whatever? That, man, Lord, I need to share with them about this love that you have. And I'm going to tell my friend about this person. And I'm going to put it out there so that somebody's going to hold me accountable. Because the last thing I need is for no one saying, hey, have you shared your faith today? Because here's the question for you. When's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? I'm not even talking about a stranger. I'm talking about somebody you know does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me follow that up with when was the last time you talked to a brother or sister and said, you know what, my heart really breaks for this person, and I'd love for you to pray for me that I might be able to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not just the prayers that we need. It's that brother and sister, that iron sharpening iron, that, that nudging one another on to good works that we need to start talking about that stuff. Finally, I think you should just live your story. I really wish Christians would live more of their story of salvation than just, I got through that. Let your light shine before men as we see in Matthew chapter 5, that they might see your good deeds and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. I don't glorify my sins. You shouldn't glorify your sins either, but you ought to glorify your God who forgives those sins, who is bigger and stronger and more powerful than those. And I want to encourage you that when you share your faith, you are moving forward God's plan and purpose. You're doing so for your life because what you decide not to do will not stop God from doing what he's already planned. But he's inviting you into that story, into that portion of that story to say, you know what? I got a story to tell. And it's one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. When someone tells a story of who they were before Christ, who they are in Christ, and who they're becoming in Christ. It is an amazing story. We've done this several times in our church where I've asked you to write your story down, share your story with a friend or a, or a spouse. Even if you aren't around people, just write your story down because I think it's good for you from time to time to sit down and reread your story and be reminded of the good news that came into your heart and changed you forever. I implore you, please, by all means, Get on board with God's mission as his ambassador. Be poured out for him. Be renewed by the fellowship of believers. Talk about the good news of Jesus Christ in your life each and every day. It doesn't have to be a deep theological story. It just has to be true. This is who I was, this is who I am, and this is who I'm becoming. Christ died, he rose, and he will come back. It's the same story. It just applies specifically to my life and to yours. I encourage you to share your faith with others. Be on board with what God's doing. You pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for the gift of your salvation, for the love that you have for us. Thank you, Father, for how you have redeemed us and reconciled us through your son, Jesus Christ. 
Father, I'm, I'm going to ask this morning just clearly, Father, would you put a burden on our hearts? Father, a restlessness about us that would not allow us just to be okay with not sharing the good news of our salvation with somebody else. Father, would you stir up your people? Just shake them, God. Mess with them. Ring them out, Lord, until all that drips is Jesus. Father, would you also forgive us for willingly withholding the good news from those who need to hear it? Father, would you let our feet be beautiful as we carry the good news of the gospel to places it's never been? Lord, thank you for our salvation. Thank you for forgiving us and for what you've done. Thank you mostly for Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper. In our church we practice an open communion.